And so Jesus said to the disciples, fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. So this fall, assuming that movie theaters are ever allowed to completely reopen again, Quebec filmmaker Denis Villeneuve will be the fourth person to try and turn one of my favorite novels, Frank Herbert's masterpiece, Dune, into a movie. One of the reasons I've always loved the book is that it's filled with liturgy. Interesting, given that it's written by an atheist, or at least an agnostic. And one of the litanies in the book that many non-religious people are often found quoting or even posting on their websites is what's called his litany against fear. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. In the greater mythos of the Dune universe, and there's several novels that Frank Herbert wrote about it, the litany was developed from one earlier simpler proverb, which still exists in many cultures. I have no fear. For fear is the little death that kills me over and over. Without fear, I die but once. Fear. There may be nothing else in life that paralyzes us more in action than fear. We don't speak up when we see something happening that's wrong because we're afraid of what the consequences might be. We don't leave that job that we absolutely hate and detest because we fear that we might not get another one. We're afraid of committing to someone in marriage because we might choose wrongly. And sometimes we're just afraid of living because we're afraid that we might die. I was sent by my friend uh, Blake Warren, who's our regional business manager, a podcast this week by a group that the Missouri Synod subscribes to called The Table Group. And it was a podcast on management. This particular episode was about challenging colleagues and employees with four simple words. That's not good enough. And the rest of the podcast, after unveiling these four words, was about why we don't say them. And frankly, the answer is simple, fear. What might people say when we tell a colleague or an employee that that's not good enough? Now, you don't have to believe Frank Herbert's thoughts on fear or the table group's thoughts on fear or my thoughts on fear, because this morning you've got the Lord incarnate, Jesus Christ's own words on fear in our gospel reading. If they've called the master of the house, the Lord of the flies, which is what Bilzebul is, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. 
but even the hairs of your head are all numbered, accounted for in a ledger. Fear not, therefore, Jesus says, you are of more value than many sparrows. There's a lot of fear in that passage and a lot of fear nots. We're going to spend just a few minutes unpacking those by first going back to the Old Testament. Jeremiah was a prophet who had a lot to fear. And one of the things that he feared most, as did most prophets, was simply being ridiculed. And being ridiculed by the people around him made him lash out at God. Oh Lord, you've deceived me, and I was deceived. You're stronger than I, so you've prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction, but the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. In short, Lord, I told the people what you wanted me to say, and everyone's making fun of me. He's afraid of that, as are most of us, if we're honest. One of the reasons we don't share our faith actively is because we're afraid that people might make fun of us for still being Christian in this modern world, modern age. Now, Jeremiah was not the first prophet to be ignored or ridiculed or shamed, and he was not going to be the last. The disciples were going to be the next up. And so Jesus reminds them the brother will deliver brother over to death, the father, his child. Happy Father's Day, everyone, by the way. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Hi, Sophia and Olivia. We love you. We give you gifts. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures all of this to the end will be saved. To be hated for the sake of Jesus' name and to be hated for the sake of God's name is the same thing. Both Jeremiah and the disciples and all of the prophets between them and before them and all the prophets and the speakers of God's word coming after them are all having to deal with the same thing. Fear that speaking up about God's word, speaking out about what God has accomplished for us in Christ Jesus might bring us shame and even ridicule. And ridicule is in some ways a little death. But the big thing that we fear most is death itself. I've spent a lot of time the last week in the evenings reading up and listening to podcasts about policing and racism and violence, as probably many of you have as we've been grappling with, finally, this great issue of how to live together as sinful people who want to lord it over one another. And at the heart of the whole issue, one of the articles I read, one of the podcasts I listened to really got to was that police increasingly are trained to think of all civilians as possible threats. Police are trained to look at their work as entering a battle space and being constantly aware that any person coming towards them or around them could have it in for them. And so it's no surprise then that in turn, many people, especially people of color, now view any and all police as threats on their lives. Encounters then between police 
and those who are being policed are not between those who want to serve and those who know they are being served. It's more an encounter between opponents on a battlefield, each fearing attack from the other. And the fear that each has is quite literally the fear of death. Police are being attacked and killed. Those who are encountering the police are being attacked and killed. And one of the ways that we deal with fear when people are struggling with different phobias in their life is through a method called cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, cognitive behavioral therapy used by a lot of Christian counselors boils down to asking people, what's the worst thing that can happen? So you go out and tell somebody that you're a Christian. What's the worst thing that can happen? So you go out and, you know, encounter some people in a public place while there's a pandemic going on. What's the worst thing that can happen? Well, usually if you go to the end of the chain, the absolute worst thing that can happen is it could kill me. And that's the one fear that if you're a secular cognitive behavioral therapist, you cannot really address because it's real and it's big. In our reading from his letter to the Romans, Paul addresses both of these issues, the issue of ridicule and the issue of death together at the same time and ties them, unites them and says they're one and the same thing. For when you were slaves, of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, Paul writes. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed, of the things that you look back on in ridicule? For the end of those things, Paul says, is death. Ridicule and death, two sides of the same coin. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, the opposite of death, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All those things, Paul says, that you might have done before to try and fit in with the crowd, especially if the crowd happens to be very hedonistic and secular, now you look back on and they seem shameful. Where before there were certain things that we might have done to avoid the ridicule of the crowd around us, now it's those same things that we look back on in shame. Sin brought shame in the very beginning, if you think about it. Adam and Eve knew good and evil, and that they were naked. And so they hid from God and tried to cover up their shame. Fear of shame is a little death, but death itself is the great fear and the wage of being part of and participating in those same shameful activities. The wages of shame is death, is the way you could phrase it. And those enslaved to sin face little deaths of shame a thousand times each day. As I mentioned before, though, about secular cognitive behavioral therapists, it does no good to simply tell somebody, do not fear, unless you can give a reason why. Why is this thing, even at the end of the long chain of consequences, even death itself, not a thing to live in fear of. 
we have to go back to the cross. Jesus's crucifixion is a defeat of both shame and humiliation and death at one and the same time. Jesus deals with the shame and humiliation of being strung up naked on pieces of wood with nails through his wrists and ankles for hours on end, and the end of which was death, in order that we might no longer fear these things or live in slavery to them. The only thing that Jesus knew to fear or respect was his father and his father's will. The one who could take away life, but equally important, in fact, more important, could give life back. Though people might try and take away our glory by shaming us, the Father is the one who is able to give glory back to us in front of them all. In view of what Jesus will do at the cross, he is able to tell the disciples to not fear anything but God. And then goes on to say that the God they ought to fear cares more about them than they know. So first he says, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. But do you see what then Jesus does in turning it around and saying, yes, indeed, the only one you should be in fear of is God. But who is this God? whom you ought to fear. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, Jesus says, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even every hair on your head is numbered. And then Jesus can say, even God, even the father should lead you to fear not, for you are more value than many sparrows. Jesus' defeat of shame and death is his defeat of sin and anything that would cause us to fear the Lord, who is the only one, ultimately, that we should ever fear. Anything that would make us look at God as anything but a caring father is defeated at the cross. And if that is the case, if God is the only one whom we should fear, and we no longer need to fear him on account of Jesus's atonement in his crucifixion and the promise of our own eternal life in his resurrection, then we truly, as Christians, can say, what is there left to fear? And no doubt, you have all heard about phobias. Phobia comes from the Greek word for fear. There's arachnophobia, fear of spiders, guilty. Claustrophobia, fear of enclosed spaces, also guilty. There's nosophobia, fear of illness or viruses, something that we're all kind of toying with in these days. But the most common fear of all, or so psychologists say, is thanatophobia, fear of death. A little quote about that here at the end. Anthropologist Ernst Becker believed that death anxiety comes naturally to all people who find the thought of death and dying unacceptable. He argued that everything everyone does, everything everyone does, the goals we set, our passions and hobbies, 
and the activities we engage in is in essence a coping strategy and that these are things we focus on so that we need not worry about our eventual death. If that is in fact true, and I think it probably is, can you see why Jesus insists that in him we not fear? How can he go to these 12 and through them to you and I and call us to go out without worry for our well-being, to not be afraid of facing governors and kings, to speak the truth even in the face of shame and ridicule if we are afraid of dying. If that is still driving us in our life, then we will never be able to get past it, to live the kinds of lives that Jesus encourages us and wants us to live by the power of his spirit in this world. All our behaviors will be oriented to coping with death unless the fear of death can be removed. But once that fear of death is off the table, if a warm reception from the author of life has been guaranteed to us by Christ's death and resurrection, if our consciences have been cleared by the cross, everything we do will be driven by joy of life in Jesus and not anymore by fear of death and the wages of sin. And so, we must not fear. Fear is the soul killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. We will face our fear. We will permit God to take our fear over us and through us. And when that fear has gone past, we will turn to see its path. And where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only Christ will remain. In his precious name.